morning and welcome to your daily game face. I'm Dr. Kim Lannon. I was caught off guard as usual because I was putting on lipstick. I have my jacket on because I'm freezing. <sighs> this is the purpose of the question. Are you ready? <laughs> Lou. All right. Lou. I think you should have, you and I should have been like brother and sister. Yep. I'm an only though. I'm sort of an I'm a pseudo only. You're a pseudo only. And I had lots of girls in my life growing up in my house. So it wasn't I was an only by birth, but I was bombarded with living from the time I was born with siblings. And I have many of them in my life, as Michelle would attest to, because Michelle was one of the girls. Yeah. But I loved Michelle. So that was an okay thing, right? Ah, so I feel like I was just here. Oh, that's right. I was. So I was here on Monday and I'm happy to promote, but also somewhat reluctant to promote <laughs> yeah, so. the first few minutes of the show. I was on the Ghost Chronicles with Ron Kolek, which I love doing the show with him. And we have a little, so we have a little bit of age disparity and we have, so that also brings with, here's a psychological phenomenon, right? Age disparity. Mm -hmm. brings up generational gapping and intergenerational familial passes of like belief systems and all kinds of other things. And also the way that you say things and what's tolerated, what's accepted. And sure. so, you know, after I finished <coughs> the show I, and I left, I had some soul reflection on <laughs> wasn't some that bad. comments that, you know, <laughs> shocked me at the beginning of the show and you and I, discussed how it was all glazed over and it was perfectly fine but it's like you know it's actually it's an actually interesting psychological phenomenon and today our topic is going to be about talking about resiliency and people and resiliency and i have a couple of different like ways of talking about it because i have some things going on and resiliency and people and you know personal life and professional life and whatever and try not to get too much into all the details but just to give some good feedback and like some good tips but um but i was thinking after the monday show because so the monday show it's paranormal activity in my mind ghost chronicling it's talking about the psychology of it and the show started off talking about i don't know how we got into it i didn't go back and listen but somehow we got into talking about gender which then led to racism and then some words that were shocking to me in the moment that I didn't expect came out. Mm -hmm. And I'm not bringing them up to be like, oh, let's bring them up and hash them again. But I actually was thinking about the fact that given Ron's uh, generational uh, stance and also his environmental and religious background and his community background. And so if I, if I was looking at as just a psychologist, not as a lay person sitting in here doing an interview with him, it made a lot of sense because it would be, that would be something that would come up in my session and someone would talk about, and they would, you know, and we would talk about the ins and outs of why people think the way that they think, why people say those certain words, why they're appropriate, why they're not appropriate, what kind of trouble you can get into. They're your choice to say them, but also you have to know the consequences yeah. because it comes back to the topic of today is resiliency. How resilient are you when you are able to put yourself out in the world and say certain things and or not, or have belief system and act on them or not, et cetera. That so, was, that was the gist of the conversation. Why mm -hmm. aren't you allowed to say these certain things? And by the way, I'll go back to it again, because it's important. Term wasn't used. It was quoted. So it was a quote. Yeah, the, it wasn't the term. The term was used appropriately in the context the thing that because if people didn't listen to it, I was unprepared. That was my thing is yeah. I was I'm I'm of the daily persuasion that I don't hear those words. I don't hear that one particular word ever Yeah. because there's one rule. And I teach this in my class. There's certain things that you're allowed to say in my therapeutic office. And we have a right to tell people like, you can't be violent. You can't get out of your chair. Like I have some specific rules, especially with people that have trauma or anger issues. But I also have some specific things like, Hey, you can eat dinner. If you want to, you can bring your, you know, your soda, your coffee, candy, you can bring cake, you can do whatever, but you also can't say, you yeah. can't say the N-word in my office and you can't say the C word. And there's a couple other words, yeah. but those are particular. And are and 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 why? And again, well, it was a quote. It wasn't an Yes, utterance. it was a quote. Right. Yeah. But it was it was not that was 
in retrospect, it wasn't that it was an inappropriate quote because it was just quoting something from the time, but it's unusual to have that yes. dropped out in yes. life. Yep. So I don't feel like he needs to be defended because I think he held his own. And I think that I held my own in terms of like, that's just not something I ascribe to. And yep. I have staunch things about that. And he has staunch things about that. And that's what the whole point about diversity, adversity, and resilience comes up for my topic today. I was like, this is a really good topic to talk about psychological phenomena because so many people have great resiliency and why. And then so many people sort of have the middle of the road and so many people have really poor resiliency around a lot of things. And that's across the board, whether it's, a, it, it's not always, a, people assume it's a low socioeconomic status issue, or it's a lack of access and resources, which it can be. Um, it's not being taught well. I mean, there could be a variety of things that just like it's carte blanche. Anything goes, you know, you get people that are like, well, it's free speech. You can say anything you want, which that is not true in theory. Sure. But that's, there's, you know, it goes back to, you can say things that are hurtful, but then there's things that are hurtful and you have to be able to have some kind of filter that you just don't say. And you also know that within cultural context, you can't say to people, um, you just can't, well, you can, but you know, either you might get shot, stabbed or killed and you you're know, free to, like, you're free to say it, but you're not free from repercussions. Yeah. You're, you're, that's free, you're free that's to freedom say of it, speech. you're free, you're free to say it, but don't be surprised when you get punched. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. I mean, don't, I mean, here we are, you know, there's a town nearby, which I'll name Bill Ricca, right. It's up and coming about, like, they talk a lot about like, there's like gang members that are around now gang members. Now we're not talking like going down to New York city or California and having the bloods and the crypts, but they are infiltrating up through from Springfield mass or whatever. It's the same thing. If you get caught saying the wrong thing at the wrong time with the wrong person that you never know. And all of a sudden it comes out, you can have as much resiliency in the world about like, well, that's not what I meant. And I thought we were friends and buds and, you know, we we're, you know, bumping fists and like, Hey, you know, Hey, yeah, but that doesn't mean anything because at the end of the day, if you rub a wrong person and you think you were saying something okay as a as a person of color versus a person that's white versus a person that is a religious background, you don't know. You have no idea. It's kind of like when you see tinted windows, you don't engage. You have no idea. Now, yeah, it's a bias. It's an unconscious bias. There's all kinds of things, but you have to be thinking about those things. So that's preservation. I mean, there's a reason what in the past two weeks we had a University of Michigan shooting yesterday. It was yesterday, right? Yesterday, I believe so, yeah. Day before. We had something three days before that. Then we had something a week before that. Then we had it's you know, there's a lot of things. So it's it's really not about necessarily the I was setting the stage for the context of the fact that there were some words used that are are just words that become phenomenally charged in the culture that we're in right. today because they are so taboo, but they're not taboo within certain cultures. And so I think that's important that we talk about that just in the context of words give people resiliency because it gives them empowerment. Some people are allowed to say them. Some people aren't. If you're a white person, you're not allowed to say certain things about that come from a, a certain background and, and vice versa. So it's, it's, it, it just spawned me to think about like yeah. the cycle, the psych phenomenon of all the different things that make people resilient. And you have physical resilience, you have emotional resilience, you have mental resilience, and you have community resilience. And then there's a whole bunch of things that go into that. And so Ron's show spawned me to really think about countrywide in the United States, and I think Western Europe too as well, has a lot of this similar, what's acceptable, what's tolerated. And in Europe, my experience anecdotally, Europe is way more tolerant than a lot of things that we are um, for a variety of reasons that we may or may not go into. But, you know, they just have different ways of looking at things. But let's go back to just talking about resiliency and like the theory of resiliency. So what are your thoughts on what are your thoughts, Lou? Yes. In your happiness of the day. Mm -hmm. By the way, hi. How was your Valentine's Day? It was nice Valentine's Day. Did you get anything lovely? I got some chocolates and a card. 
Uh huh. Did you guys go out? No, but we're, no, but we're gonna go away next week. Oh yeah, you're going to our favorite place. I don't think so. Oh. But I don't know where yet. Just a little huh. getaway. It's what? Just a little getaway. Oh, very nice. So okay. So what is your thought on what resiliency is? Because I'm going to give you a little bit more. I'm going to read out like something I wrote out. We have visitors. I'm going to read out something I wrote out about resiliency. Mm -hmm. And then, but I want to hear what you think about resiliency when you hear it first. Resiliency is the ability to deal with adversity and process it and, and um, recover from it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Yes. And it's and then it has all these depth pieces to it. Okay, so here's my definition of resiliency, mm -hmm. and bear with me. So, because I did a little combination, because I worked on this over the past couple of days, because I really wanted to focus on it, because it really refers also to life, sports, academics, family relationships, interpersonal relationships, and so on. Mm -hmm. So resiliency refers to both the process, like you said, and outcome of successfully adapting to difficult or challenging life experiencing life experiences it's having the mental emotional and behavioral flexibility and ability to adjust to both internal and external demands on one's person it's your ability to withstand adversity mm -hmm. bounce back and grow despite life's downturns so it's like my my thing is always function despite the dysfunction so i shorten it up and put it into my phrase right yep um, and then it's also, it's really about, um, noting that resiliency requires a skill set that you can work on and grow over time and build it so that you have strength, you help people around you, you're likely experiencing setbacks along the way, but those are helpful to build personal behaviors and skills like self-esteem and communication as well as external things like social support and resources that become available to you because you become more resilient. So both um, being resilient does not mean that people don't experience stress, emotional upheaval or suffering, but demonstrating resiliency includes working through emotional pain and suffering and have it resolve out on another side. So you don't keep what I call recapitulating or repeating, recapitulating mm -hmm. the family of origin issue, which is you learn usually your resiliency factors in childhood. You learn how to function and become more shored up around your edges because people face all kinds of adversity in life, especially in growing up years and kiddom, right? Then there's personal crises, even though people think kids don't have them, they do, huge. Oh, sure. yeah. um, there's illnesses, loss of loved ones, there's abuse, there's bullying, there's job loss, financial instability. There's a shared reality of tragic events in people's lives. And people often think of like just natural disasters or terrorist attacks and mass shootings like we're talking about or natural things. Um, the global pandemic, <laughs> war, right? But people have to learn to cope with like kind of their everyday challenging life experiences, which people don't think of as a big deal. They think, oh, well, that's just that's just work. It's not a big deal, but you actually have to have <laughs> resilience, excuse me, resiliency of that. Or if you're going to school and you're a second grader and you're under fire as a second grader from like that old school technology brain of like people thinking like, let's, let's focus on bad behavior and corrective emotional experiences that are not healthy by reinforcing bad behavior instead of looking, ignoring the bad behavior, rewarding good behavior. So you don't have a child who gets really anxious. Mm -hmm. That's where you're building resiliency. Um, so resiliency theory often refers to people having, um, adapt, adapting to challenging things, um, like the losses, the change and risks. And, so many studies have been done in my field and human development and change management so that resiliency theory tells us that um, resiliency is not a fixed trait. You can grow your capacity to practice resiliency and it's not constant. So you might demonstrate a lot of resiliency when it comes to one challenge you're faced with and that you'll struggle in another one because you're just not equipped for it because you haven't had the exposure to it and you just don't know a lot of yeah. that. So having flexibility, adaptability, perseverance can help, help tap into that resiliency. But one of the downsides of that is having flexibility, adaptability, and perseverance comes from social role modeling in, in a child's home, a person's home. Children learn their resiliency, which is why I say children are resilient. 
they are more resilient when you have good social role modeling of someone who actually, you know, isn't modeling things like we give up, yeah. we quit, we are, we, in the face of fear, we keep avoiding something, you know, like if we're going to take an exam and we decide that, you know, it's a licensing exam, for instance, and we're not going to take it and we are afraid because we don't want to fail. You're modeling for your kids yep. that fit the fear of failure is way more important than taking the exam, finding out if you did well or not, and then going back and doing it again until you actually get it right. The resiliency factor and the strength comes in doing that because the failure is teaching the opportunity to learn what you haven't learned to be able to do it. Not let's avoid it until we feel maybe it will help us and we will pass the exam and then whatever. It just teaches kids to like tap out. Right. Mm -hmm. Sure. So, um, so uh, the so the other piece is that when students believe that both intellectual abilities and social attributes can be developed and improved, they increase their own sense of resiliency and they show a lower stress response and they improve their importance, their, they improve their performance and their level of competence and competency and they lower their suicidality risk. People don't realize that lack of resiliency or poor resiliency is one of the hallmark signs of increased risk for suicidality and completion. And so I think that's a super important start point. Well, that contributes to hopelessness. Right, because it leads to the hopelessness, which is the number one factor Mm -hmm. that we know of, um, according to back uh, hopelessness scale of the number one hallmark that we watch for, for people who who are not resilient and have suicidality. So the resiliency piece usually has five principles and I'm going to go through a whole bunch of different things, but five principles that we look for in people is a person filled with gratitude about life. Do they walk through life feeling their glass is half full for the most part, that they have lots of gratefulness, that they're happy with what they have. They don't wish for envy Mm -hmm. others, right? Envy is not a good thing. Um, compassion, which I've talked about in a couple shows a year or two ago, being compassionate, having compassionate for others or compassionate nature towards others. Now, it's not always perfect because sometimes we have a laugh being like, oh my God, the person keeps repeating the same behavior and it's hard to have compassion for them. But just generally speaking, like having kindness and compassion and understanding, which leads to an acceptance of the way things are for yourself or someone else, and then finding meaning or purpose, mm-hmm. and then having forgiveness. Now, you know how I feel about forgiveness. Forgiveness in the way that they t- they terminology, it, when they talk about this in the general um, psychology realm, forgiveness has that still implication that if you forgive, you get letting go. That right. means you're complying to allow someone to get away with something. That's not how I mean about forgiveness. I'm talking about forgiveness is more about freeing yourself, freeing yourself up by giving yourself permission to not be held by the by the bounds of the energy that's sucking your soul yep. for the resentment you're holding on to about whatever you know you watch you know I, last night I was watching my favorite things the murder shows at night <laughs> and you get these people that will get on the stand and say I forgive you now the perpetrator and the person who's getting convicted is like looking at them like I don't give a shit. Right. I'm looking at you. I'm looking through. I don't care. Right. But for the person who's saying it, the resiliency actually comes up because they're not forgiving per se, even though they're using the word and that's how they context it. But the underside of what forgiveness really is, isn't, I, I tell people, you don't have to forgive anyone. What you have to do is you have to put it in its proper spot so that you don't hold on to it so that it doesn't eat you. Forgiveness you have to is accept a great, and find peace with it. it. Yes, it's it's finding peace within the context of something bad happening. It, forgiveness is the, and this is what people get stuck on. It's like saying like, I, I absolve you of everything you've done. And then it makes people typically feel bad. I end up doing so much work around like, well, I forgave the person and now we're resentful. Yeah. And so instead of it, I say, well, you don't have to forgive them, which is a novel concept. I can, I always say, just give yourself permission to not have to be bound by what they did 
and how it would own you or give you them power to have that peace over you because it's not necessary. That seems to make way more sense with people. And it's like, aha, that's way better because it's meaning forgiveness, but it's, it's not really forgiveness. And it doesn't go to that whole, it gets very touted into and tied into the religious aspect of you have to forgive in order to move forward, to be more God-like, more Jesus-like, more blah, blah, blah. But a lot of people don't believe in that. And also I find that psychologically it just unravels people because they can never fully get past that. Because once, once I say, and this is what works for me and my clients, once I say to someone, we're not going to forgive, we're going to give ourselves permission to let go of all the hate and the anger and the sadness and all the bad things that we have towards that person because they're doing nothing because it's not affecting them. It's only impacting you. So it's the resentment thing, right? It's the old saying in AA. It's the pill that you swallow yourself in hopes that the other person dies. So if you don't give yourself permission to not take that pill and stop wallowing in the resentment, you can't let go. That's, that is a, I think a better way of looking at forgiveness. This sounds like it all ties into the discussion we had a week or two ago about mental hygiene yep. and, and about rationing and being conservative with your mental energy mm-hmm. and being protective of it. In mm-hmm. other words, forgiving somebody for something that happened, forgiving your parents. You, you right. talk about the old family wounds, right? You can grind on what your parents did to you for the rest of your life if you right. want to, but what good is it doing you? Right. Right. Well, well, you're not capitulating by forgiving. All you're doing is going, I'm not giving any more mental energy to that. It is what it is to quote Bill. Right. And I think people get and and this is one of the the, so two things I think that and and you've heard me say this before about like it's not parents blame. (coughs) Now, I, I will. I have no problem since it's become more free about talking about this and they can chime in if they are listening and they can say whatever they want. Um. My parents are big on religious forgiveness, the definition of that stuff. That's the era they grew up in. It's very Jesus-based. That's fine. But when it comes to doing the neutrality of the understanding of what each person individually is experiencing, it's really not about that. Because what it does is it binds you back into, like what we were talking about with Ron the other day, there's a lot of shame and guilt if you don't forgive. But if you, if I look at you, Lou, and say, don't forgive Sally, but give yourself permission to not be angry at her because all it's doing is hurting you, that's going to free you up. Yep. So when I look at some of the things my family has had in their lives and the impact they've had on me, I was told many years ago, you have to forgive. And I remember immediately going in my head going, no, I don't. No, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't. And I didn't have the the knowledge that I have now that I came to on my own because I did my own theoretical work. I was writing I part of a book yep. to come to this. And it came to me in my book writing and my in my journaling to get to that book chapter about forgiveness is giving permission of self to let go of what isn't yours. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. It frees you up and people don't think of it that way. They feel like they have to have this thing because if not, they're shamed and guilted and they'll not survive. Please hold because I have to pick up the dog because he's <laughs> he's he's pawing at me to pick him up. What's the matter? <gasps> Come here. Oh, you're so cute. He wants to lay on the table. <laughs> Look at the cuteness. <laughs> All right. Rocky's back. Huh? Rocky's back. But it's not, forgiveness isn't public at all. You talk about shaming. You don't have to tell the person you forgive them. You don't have to declare publicly you forgive them. This is an internal process, right? This is. Yes, this is not. Yeah, this is not about anything to do with. um, Yes. Can you. Okay. For one second. He just took me out of my. Oh, there (laughs) I am. Okay. Um, This is. This has nothing to do with having to do anything public. This has nothing to do with anything with other people. This is just yourself. Right. And when you can do this with yourself, it builds your own sense of competence and competence, which we'll get to, um, about how it makes you stronger because it's not, you don't have the power of someone 
their event. Let's take murderers, right? Yep. You see, you see moms get on the stand all the time and be like, I forgive you. And you can see the glaze over of the perpetrator. Like, you yeah. think I give a shit? Yep. <laughs> right. And you feel, I can feel like, cause I into it, I into it a lot about like the feeling isn't connected. And I feel the sadness for the parent, like, that's not landing. And they, and they try to convince themselves that yes, in fact, it's landing. And, and that that person's going to be impacted, even though the person's stoic, not giving eye contact, all those things. So in clients that I've had, and I've had some clients in the past couple of years that have had children, adult children who've been murdered across, in around the country so in either all horrific things. Um, but we talk about like, you know, are you, are you forgiving or are you giving yourself permission to not hold on to their stuff? And that's the freeing piece. Yeah. Because I think there's not a better word. So people just drop it into forgiveness. But the other piece I think is giving way more realistic, rational, rational and reasonable um, context for someone to actually feel freed up of the, yeah. the stuff. If you're doing that in a trial, you're not, that's not the forgiveness we're talking about because it's right. dependent on the other person's reaction. And what you're looking for is some admission of guilt there. Yes. What you're looking for. But this forgiveness we're talking about isn't about, it's not public. It's not something you have to state out loud. No. It's something you negotiate inside yourself. Right. And I think that when people do state it outside themselves in like a courtroom or they say, I forgive that person, or you're watching the shows like Kathy's on. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, Joe. Yeah, Kathy and I, as you know, we watch our little shows yep. of Dateline and Snapped and all those things. When people get out there in the world and start talking about that, that's, that's, it's a self val it's a it's a self verification theory. They're looking for people to also verify for them that they're, you know, patting them on the back. Yep. And not in a bad way, you know, they're yep. getting the kudos, getting the validation that I did this and it's okay. But at the end of the day, are they going home feeling validated? Are they truly going home with that feeling? And I think that people anecdotally, in my experience over 27 years of doing this, there's a very distinct emotional, like, aha, you see it in the face, you see it in the body, you see the release of the whole tension of the central nervous system and the, and the polyvagal nerve when they're in the office. When you say, just give yourself permission to let this go. Letting go doesn't mean forgetting. Letting go doesn't mean you feel less angry, but it means that you don't have to sit in it and hope that that person feels your pain, feels your anger, feels that so that they finally come back and say, oh, I'm so sorry. Cause that's what most people are looking for. They're I looking know. for someone to come back at them and say, I'm so sorry for what I've done. I mean, I will, I will just say, and love that Kathy's listening because she knows, and she and I talk about these things a lot. People don't come back and say those things and people hold out. And I call them hopeaholics. They hope for the fact that someday the person who has contributed to the lack of resilience in you will some come somewhere, come down the line and be like, I, I was wrong and I did these things and I, and that frees you up. But that's movies and TVs and books. That's not right. life. That, and right. what and, you end up doing is you end up fighting that battle for years and it accumulates with other battles and the snow gets really deep on the roof and, right. and you just don't have, it's conserving mental energy. If right. you're fighting a childhood battle from the way your parents treated you now, that's mental energy. You don't have to deal with the thing that's in front of you right now. Right. And I think, so it's, so I like, so I'm going to take you down a road for a second. Yep. My, my grandmother, when she was on her deathbed and I flew to Florida, um, for lack of lots of details, she had a very tumultuous relationship with some certain family members, not me. I was her person. Mm -hmm. I was her executor on her will. I had, right, much to some family members' chagrin. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that wasn't a big, that was not going over big because <laughs> not obviously popular. Yeah. I was not popular about that. And I was a, the, I was a grandchild and that she had three daughters, et cetera. Um, it was not a problem with a certain one of her daughters, but it was with two others. Um, the envy, the lack of resilience in two of the adults in this process um, was very toxic and was very hurtful. And had I not been resilient, because I always say yeah. my grandmother was my emotional yummy and she taught me well to not take all that on. 
I think that that really would have gone down a bad road in terms of made my head turn. And occasionally it comes up like it's coming up now just because we're talking about it. But I, you know, I had a, a family member look at me, um, at a, at the dinner table the night before the the uh, wake and proceeded to say, or it was actually the night of the wake, we had gone out for dinner and in front of probably 25 people at the table announced that, well, of course she waited for you to come down to Florida because my grandmother passed. Yeah. I flew in. She, she knew I was coming. She was not, cog she was not cognizant, yep. but she knew I, I was there. Her husband had told her Kim was coming. Hold on. She did talk about resiliency, yep. right? We yep. had a very good bond. She waited. We had a few moments, a good few moments. We left the hospital, said, we'll be back in a little while. Then in the meantime, we got the call. So she waited, right? She let go. Essentially. Yeah. yeah. So instead of that being a wonderful thing about like a resiliency piece and people saying like, that was a good thing. Instead, I got bombarded with at dinner with people having some beer and wine with the, well, of course she waited for you. Of course, you know, all the sickness of the family comes out of, yep. of course she waited for you. She was your, you were her favorite. She had to, you know, she couldn't wait for the rest of us to come down, but you know, and it's just, you know, and in that moment I could feel that pain. Um, I hadn't gotten to the area in my work that I have now where I'm like, I look back on that and I'm like, Oh, I wish I had had the yeah. strength that I have now to be like, uh, Okay. Yeah. But I had some of that, but I just remember that face burn and being like, what are you doing? Like, that's so, I know what you're doing. I know what you're trying to do. Yeah. It's working somewhat, but I'm fighting it. And, you know, and now, you know, I look back on it and go like, you, you tried to move me to get me into that maneuverable position to knock me out of my control of my adversity situation so that I would feel as bad as you do. Yep. You want me to join you in your misery right. because you didn't have that. You didn't have that relationship. And therefore, how, do, how can I be living with the permission of giving myself like freedom from this versus I'm sorry that you all didn't visit her very often. I'm sorry you hardly talked to her. I'm sorry that when you did talk to her, you were really mean. I'm sorry that you crossed her boundaries. I'm sorry that you did all these things, which were all these conversations that, yeah. of course, happened during this time. This is over 20 years ago. And it was a lot, but <laughs> it always strikes me in my head as like, what a what a very specific, um, typical family dynamic, especially around death, yep. right? Births deaths and weddings, people come out with these things that really trigger the um, intergenerational family resiliency points that are lacking um, because they push those points. And if you have people that are vulnerable to that, it becomes such a problem for people because you just can't get, uh, you can't get out from under it if you don't know you know what it is, but you don't really know what it is. You don't know how to get out of it. You feel trapped. You feel like you're like, you know, in the rat maze. Um, if you do get out of it or try, then you pulled back in like the crabs in the bucket because yeah. how dare you. And oftentimes if you're younger and it's a generational thing, you're being disrespectful. And my, my whole psychological thing is as long as you're not overstepping anyone's emotional violating their bounds that are in you're being rude you can cross people's boundaries in terms of like saying no and yep. if they have a bad feeling about that that's not your problem and people think that's very cold but that's actually healthy um because it makes you resilient and it actually helps them be resilient too that they have to learn distress tolerance right they have to learn how to be tolerant of being in distress the uncomfortable feeling that someone's going to stand up to you and say i'm not going to own and take responsibility for you you have bad behavior instance for instance you don't you don't display gratitude compassion acceptance kindness these things that go into being resilient you just you you're displaying envy resentment hurt anger not compassion um and that's that's a huge downside to like just at the beginning phases of talking about resiliency. So before I go on to more, what do you have? What are your thoughts, Lou, on that? Well, those are interesting dynamics because uh, when you're talking about a death or in this situation that you were talking about, that upset the hierarchy of the family. Right. At that point, but here's the thing about it: 
is it was irreversible at right. that point. It had to be accepted. And this was just flailing against against the inevitability of everything. I mean, death is final. Right. A lot of times, I mean, that's obviously tough when you're dealing with things that can't be changed. But that's part of the skill set of resiliency is understanding what can't be changed and mm -hmm. accepting it. Forget we've been using the word forgiving, but accepting fits in here. It's a synonym for what we're talking about. Accepting that outcome. Right. Much of the problem comes from day to day adversity that isn't final and isn't resolved. Right. And you can be resilient. But what happens is you get a hit on one day and you exercise some resiliency and you get some a hit the next day and you get a hit the next day after that. Right. Smaller hits than a death, of course. But, you know, sometimes that's the resiliency that's can be tougher sometimes. Right. Because it's more active. All that is final. It's dealing with something that can't be changed. And your skill set should be understanding what can be changed and what can't be changed. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, okay. So to that point, developing resiliency is both complex and personal, right? Because it involves combination of inner strength, which that's a continuum and you have to fail where you are. And many people that I work with, or that even know in some of my personal life, their inner strength is, it's on the lower side, right? They're much more externalizers, no, right? It's, it's, it's almost fault, negative. I can't it's, take responsibility. It's everybody else. It's not me. You did it to me. It's you almost know, negative, isn't it? It's well, people it's, who it's, keep digging when they're in the hole. Well, it's like if I say to you, I'm using this example lightly. If I say to you, hey, watch out for the dog. And the person's like, oh, my God, I didn't know that the dog was in the way. Blah, 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 right? That's a resiliency issue of hearing feedback. It immediately turns into, well, I didn't like the way you talked to me about the job, you know, and that's, you know, I'll use that as an example. It's like, but you were, you told me to watch out for the dog, right? Cautionary tale, watch out for not crushing the dog or rolling on the dog. Does that mean that now your lack of resiliency gives you the right to now yeah. jump at a person and go after them for something like that? I mean, I'm using it because Rocky's here yeah. and it's easy, right? People do that all the time. It's like, you're not resilient if you get feedback from someone like, hey, can you pick up the mess on the floor? Parents do this with kids all the time. And they're like, why do I have to do it when yep. it, when Sally is upstairs in her room and, and Joe just came home from work and I've been here all day sleeping and I shouldn't have to do any of this. You know, it's like, yep. that's not resiliency. That's passing the buck under the auspice of resiliency because unfortunately... The developmental thing of the inner strength isn't there. It's like the external, external, external. So when you have the external um, strengths and the outer resources pressing on your on each other, instead of saying, oh, I have good inner strength, I have good outer resources that I'm not blaming, and um, I can help myself be more resilient, that's a big deal. So the way that someone views and engages the world contributes to better resiliency the availability and quality of good social resources. Now that's parents, teachers, friends. Um, and when you say quality of social resources, you look for them, you look for people in your social resources that are up front and up, they're going to tell you the truth and you're not going to just look for self-verifying people. We often do, this is an addiction work too, right? We look for people that will just be like, oh, you can smoke crack one more time. You can have another drink. Yeah. Don't let them tell you something different. That's not a good outer resource, right? That brings your resiliency down. And then of course, specific coping strategies come with that. Um, so I think, I think just out of the gate, those are important things to just understand. And then now we have aspects of looking at resiliency. So we have social support. So social support, you know, research always has told us for many things, not just this, that um, your support system, whether you're a geriatric person, whether you're retiring, whether you're a kid crossing from middle school to high school and all those things that, you know, having extended family, community, friends, organizations, you know, Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, you know, if you're a teenager doing uh, your drama club, your swim team, your track team, all these things, friends and organizations that share a healthy, healthy set, you're going to go towards 
um, resiliency in times of crisis because you're going to have an outside resource to draw on, not just sitting with yourself yep. in shame or blame or guilt um, or pity parties. Like, you know, oh, my, you know, my, you know, my family member died. I have a, a client who is 58 years old and he had a dad who passed away when he was 10. We're still working on building up his resiliency factors because he's just come to the knowledge just in the past like month that he's he's developmentally arrested at the time of the death. People who have deaths, no matter when. So if a 10-year-old has a death mm -hmm. of a family member, a parent that they're close to, they developmentally arrest to the maturity level when they are in that moment. So in their adulthood, they're going to act that way. And that fosters over time. If someone has a, a loss at 13, 14, 15, the developmental shift has changed so that that developmental arrest is going to now come out as being isolative, lashing out, rude, disrespectful, like all the things because they're angry. It's the angry time in development, like separation and individuation. Yep. Person loses their family member at 20 developmentally. We shift on the resiliency factor. It's a totally different game because the resiliencies are are developmentally the person's more mature so they have more coping strategies and outward resources typically so they're not lashing out they're not doing those infantile high-risk behaviors or right. impulsive things so so you have those kinds of things and using those as an example um so i think that when you have crisis for trauma and support that definitely helps your social support network which is a piece of resiliency then there's self-esteem Right. People always talk about self-esteem and what is it and how do you get it, whatever. But it's having a positive sense of yourself, like that you have strengths. You do have strengths. You might not have tons, but you do have them. And when you look at those strengths and you do like that cognitive behavioral thing of like, okay, I have lots of strengths. How can I use those when I have feelings of helplessness, when I'm in a moment where I feel like I can't get out of it or I feel trapped or yep. there's no other resource for it? Um, um, because self-esteem and resiliency are probably one of the most closely related set of, of pairs to go through. Sure. And, and then there's coping strategies, which is coping and problem-solving skills help empower a person. Um, the more coping strategies, the more problem-solving skills a person has that can overcome hardship, like that can bring on optimism, that can be on strategizing, that can be on like moving a puzzle piece, that can be generating alternatives for someone that can make on their own without mm -hmm. having to be stuck and saying like, I don't really know how to do anything, so I'm non-productive, so it's easier for me to sit up in my room, isolate, and then be angry about it and lash out for everybody else is doing things around me, and then me being like, well, I, it's not me, it's everybody else. Yep. Well, the common denominator is not everybody else, it's you. It's you who, when you are in the face of adversity, which is a social situation, like for people who have social anxiety, you're combative, you become less wanted, you become less needed, you become less desirable to be around because you're a lot of work, because you become the toxic person in the grouping. But because we go back to the beginning, because you don't have the insight, because you don't have the internal focus of, I have responsibility here, it's everybody else's fault. You see that a lot with teenagers. Well, we talk about this a lot during the show. It's the uh it's taking that responsibility for your outcomes. Mm -hmm. And when there are adverse outcomes, it's even more difficult. You don't want to accept responsibility. You want to externalize it. It's right. It, it, there are external faults. It's not my fault, but that all tends to isolate you and doesn't give you the skill set to overcome what's going on. Plus the best tool you have is understanding you have more control over your outcomes than you think. Right. And I think that young people from like, you mm -hmm. know, 11 11, 12 years old, if they are lacking these skills all the way up into their mid-20s and their maturity and they've had some traumas or whatever, they don't look at that. They externalize it and it's it's not me. They dig their heels in and it's yeah. like, it's, you know, another person, it's their parent, it's their aunt, it's their grandparent, it's the teachers, teachers oftentimes. Yeah. And they usually find, what I have found is that there's usually some kind of bullying going on around them with their other kids because what they're doing is they're taking their angst out and then they're creating an environment around them that other people don't like them. Other people are pushing them away. It leads to a lower self-esteem because the resiliency is low because why? Well, the resiliency is low because people are not wanting to be around them. They're, they're tired of the 
the constant, I don't, you know, I don't feel good. Nothing goes right. I'm so tired. Life is unfair, blah, blah, blah. It's like, that's not resiliency. That's help rejecting complaining, right? Yep. It's a, it's part of the personality disorder field of like, we, you know, you want to complain about all the things that are going wrong, but you won't want to do anything about it. And then you want to roll your eyes to someone. And that's a personality disorder that falls in line with narcissism, borderline personality disorder and histrionic personality disorder. You can't medicate that. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. There's no medication for that because then you're not building resiliency. You can't build resiliency through medication. And, right? and especially it's not an organic issue like bipolar. This is not something that's like a chemical imbalance. This is just a, a state of self-esteem growth or non-growth that has not been built. Right. So it's like, that's not coming. That's not going to come down the pike all of a sudden because you take some medication that there is none for. And you can speak to this with more experience than I have, but it seems like the parenting trends seem to be protecting kids from taking responsibility for yes. what's happening to them because they mask it in self-esteem. Well, I want them to have good self-esteem. It's not their fault. They're not deficient. Sometimes you get to let them hit the bridge. Sometimes you gotta, you gotta teach them that you know, that particular outcome was yours. Here's how you can fix it. Um, yes. And I think one of the things with parenting that I've seen a lot of is the white flag gets thrown in because they don't want to deal with the pushback. That's one of the big things is that the intensity of the characterological flaws of this person teenager or yeah. adult is so deeply rooted it's so challenging that you just want to be like hands up i'm done yeah i don't want it around me um it's easier when you're an outsider to be able to be like until you get your shit together i don't want to be around it because i can't be around you <laughs> right but it's hard when it's a parent because a parent has to continue being there right and trying to do things but unfortunately i see a lot of parents um and not a lot i see a few parents who really, as usual, you can't fix a, a problem at 16 that should have been fixed when they were five, because by the time they're 16, 17, 18, 20, 22, they're doing drugs, they're off the radar, they're isolating, they're on disability, whatever they get to, we haven't built the resiliency because we were too busy as parents <coughs> being like, well, it's okay. And you know, they're just a kid and like, no, that's just yeah. making excuse for bad behavior. But and sometimes you get the story. My teacher is being mean to me. And yeah. It's like, they're not, this is. Well, they, it's because they this, set a boundary. I always say, oh, it's because yeah. they set a boundary. They said, no, this is a reasonable expectation. Right. Because yeah. it was, oh, you missed three days of school and you want to have the test next week but unfortunately you did all the makeup work and the test is tomorrow but you want more time and that's not your prerogative and you know i think this isn't new because kids were doing this when i was growing up the kids want what they want when they want it yes but so the parental response was likely different when we were right, growing up right right absolutely no take the test exactly <laughs> yeah, do right. the work well, take that's, the test yeah. right that's definitely yeah for sure um so resilience is not something that people tap into during overwhelming moments. Um, it builds as people encounter all kinds of stressors all day. So if you are stunted or you are arrested in your development because you have not moved forward and you get stuck in that angry, resentful, nasty internal dialogue that doesn't allow you to move, you're not learning to deal with the stresses of every day and what the coping skills you're building, the coping skills you're building for resiliency are anti movement forward. Right. And that happens a lot, which is why people end up getting depressed and they get, you know, suicidal, but then they don't talk about it. Like they can do anything about it. What they do is they say, well, it's, it's the teacher's fault. It's parents fault. It's family members fault. It's my brother's fault. Yep. It's, you know, I'm required to do so much more, you know, the drama, but that's the narcissism, right? The underside of shame, the person's shame. So they have no resiliency because their coping strategy is so low that they just go right to that as their thing. But that mindset of externalizing everything takes it out of your control, which contributes to the hopelessness, which contributes, it gets you into the cycle, <clears throat> right? Just externalizing all your problems is just absolving yourself of control, which prevents you from taking responsibility for them, but also gives you no control over them mentally. You need control. That's, yes. that's where the hope comes from. That's where the resiliency comes right, from. Right, because the person needs to know how that they have a sense of control over mm -hmm. 
themselves, but know that control doesn't mean that whatever they say goes. Right. There's a very big difference. So right. that leads me to this point of there's a there's a model. Now I have my three R's and I have my three C's that are not the same, but there's a model out there for resiliency theory that has to do with being the seven C's, right? Um, and so and it, it's based on two really very important caveats of about young people. Young people will live up and down to the expectations that are set for them yes. and need adults who love them unconditionally and hold them to high expectations. When that is missing, mm -hmm. there's your first problem. So the kids will go up and down to the expectations that are set. They will rise or fall to the they expectations. They will rise and fall. Yeah. All kids will. Mm -hmm. And the piece that gets missing is not that maybe a parent doesn't love them, but they don't hold them to the standard. They it's the it's the give me your phone, you don't have it for a week, and three days later it comes yep. back. There's a great example. Like yep. that's right there, you've killed resiliency right out of the gate. So there's one of the tenants, right? Or or you're in bed, you're you're supposed to be in bed by 10, no more electronics and lights out and they're with me and the next thing you know the kid is on an ipad because the ipad didn't get shut off and they have that under the covers and you know they're doing discord and doing all these other things that they shouldn't be doing oh which is also lowering your self-esteem because you're talking to people all over the country that are like 40 and you're 20 and you, you know you I know hate, the deal i hate to put it this way because people dismiss it but kids want they don't want to be the alpha dog kids are stressed when they have more control than they should have at the time at the time right and they and they they feel, want a leader and they feel really like like it's empowering but in fact it's making them more out oh, of control they think it's great. and then yeah. and then that's yeah. why it's harder to get them under control because they are spiraling because when you so that's so that brings me to the second point before we get into the c's when you, when a person a person even even older is modeled resilience and in particular, they're modeling resilience for young people, let's say 10 to 20, right? They're far more important to do that in terms of the modeling than what is said about it. Oh, sure. So if you are actually modeling, like, you don't get that phone back for a week and you don't, and you say, you know, you need to find a different way to, like, self-soothe and you need to be in bed by 10 and you need to be at school yep. and you can't miss and you've got to do you have to go to work and you have an appointment and you have to make these responsibilities and obligations yep. if you fall short as a role model parent or grandparent or guardian whatever you are you're losing the ability to have that child be resilient and then the and usually the children become kids who um will turn into self-entitled expectation is like it's not me it's everybody else yep. and you should kowtow to me and i'm amazing and i just will ignore you and i won't have to deal with you it's like okay well so and you know how i feel about that it's yep. like hey those are your choices because at that juncture when you have someone doing that it's not like they're eight they're at a point where it's like well those are your choices and i can make mine too choices equal consequences yep good bad or indifferent Right. Yep. Okay. So the next, so the, so the actual seven C's for the, um, that the American Pediatric Association has come up with and we summarize. So competence, right? Uh, the ability to know how to handle situations effectively, um, building the confidence, I mean, the competence. So, like their skills, their judgments, their ability to be responsible for their choices and take their ownership. There's one confidence which is, you know, true self-confidence is rooted in that competence. Yep. The more competent you are, the more self-confident you'll be. And individuals will gain the confidence by demonstrating real life situation competency. So they can go hand in hand. So if you're missing out on life and you're missing out on days and days of things that you're doing, you're not going to build resiliency in those two C's. Um, character. Can't speak enough about mm -hmm. people and character because I think that the pandemic didn't help this because we lacked social connection. But I think a lot of times character role modeling, even before the pandemic, was not really well role modeled in many cases. And so building character of a fundamental sense of being a good person, being a healthy person, mm -hmm. 
being like healthy as in like healthy thought process, healthy physicality, being in the world, knowing the difference between right and wrong, how to make a responsible choice, owning your choices, contributing to society, not running, running amok with your mouth and your opinions, being respectful of societal norms, um, experiencing self-worth that comes from that full package brings to a good character. And I think that I see so many kids I would say that have most of it, but then I have a few in personal life and in yeah. practice, but very few that have these really extreme sides of like, wow, we got some serious problems there. Um, then there's coping. Mm -hmm. Coping seems really basic, right? When people learn to cope with stress effectively, they're better prepared to handle adversity, right? So generating alternatives to how do you cope with this kind of stress? How do you manage? Um, by the way, you can apply all these to adult stuff oh, too. Course, it's just yeah. everything applies over, but it's just usually this is where you start. You start with like younger people. Um, and then there's well, once again, this is a generational problem. So we're right. seeing this in adults and parents and it's being transferred onto the kids. Right. Yeah. And then there's a sense of control. Now people often hear control and they think controlling, but that's not it. It's about developing the understanding of internal inside control so that you can rationally, reasonably, and realistically um, individually make choices to problem solve instead of become victims of circumstance. I think this is one of the highlights of self-resilience is that take all the other C's that I've talked away and say, okay, how many kids or how many people do you know that they don't go into problem solving. They go right to victim mode. I'm the victim. Yep. I'm the victim. And you ask them, well, what are you bringing to the table that's creating this problem? Because you're a common denominator over these seven yeah. people. You're, you're, you're not liked at school. You're not liked at work. You're not liked by your family members. You're not liked by your job. Like, what? And you get a lot of times like, it's not me. So that's the yeah, zero part in it. That's yeah. the giving up of control and the resiliency factor of I have no control and I don't want it because it's easier to run amok and act completely out of control and create chaos because the chaos feels good. And when the and when um, individuals learn that they can control the outcomes of their decisions by making better decisions, by not speaking cruelly or being out of turn or being rude or disrespectful or rolling their eyes or talking bad about people or bullying or whatever, they're more likely to view themselves as capable and competent, but it takes a lot of work to get there and a ton of work. Um, and so that ends up being like psychological resilience, emotional resilience, physical resilience and community resilience. And, and people really struggle with that because the concept of that to work on that as a whole is so um, daunting for mm -hmm. people that are short on the resiliency factor because it's overwhelming. It's like yep. looking at the hoarding house going, I, how do I clean the whole thing up and fix it when it's about to be a teardown? Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and this is one of the concerns is that when you have people like this, a lot of times you get parasuicidal behavior, which is not the same thing as suicidal behavior. It's people when they are pushed to the wall to have to take accountability and responsibility and come out of the victim role, they'll do the whole, I can't. And if I'm forced to do this, then I'll just, I'll just fall apart. I'm so anxious. I will end up in the hospital. And my take on that, and I've done this many times in my careers. Well, if that's what really is true right now, we're going to the hospital. I can't tell you it's over 10 times that I have either solely assisted in getting someone to the hospital with that kind of conversation or told parents or husbands or wives or somebody else or kids, parents, like if someone's saying that one, we always err on the side of caution to believe the kid. Yep. And if it's not true, it's usually a very good call on a bluff that you want to make sure that you go, Hey, if it was true, we took care of it. We didn't mess with it. But if it's not, the child or the adult will never do it again Yeah, because it will bring them forward to, Hey, I didn't expect because what they're doing is they're trying to control the situation by, and I use this loosely, 
I'll commit suicide if you make me do that. I will, you can't make me or you can't, I can't do that because I, I'm just not well enough to do that. Okay. If that's true, then you should be in the hospital. Yep. Because something's going wrong that either we need to reevaluate treatment, we need to have medication, we need to have uh, inpatient stay, something's got to go on. And, you know, people would say, oh, that's an extreme. Well, no, not always, because there's lots of people out there that cry wolf because they're trying to get the need met because it's a coping strategy, which is a resiliency factor, but it's a poor coping strategy yeah. that gets in the way. And it's manipulation. It's not a coping strategy. It's manipulation. Well, manipulation is a coping strategy. Yeah. When a person learns how to maneuver and manipulate people, it's their way of getting what they need when they haven't been able to get it in a way that they could have had they been taught not to be a victim role, had they been role modeled correctly, and or if they had been given corrective emotional experiences along the way to say that bluff is not going to be held. So we're going to call it and then ending it sooner rather than later. Again, can't fix a 16 year old problem that started at four easily. Yep. So resiliency is a really big thing in people in general. This isn't just like a, a, a one-off topic. It's, it's an everyday thing. People have to be resilient all the time. You know, whether it's simple things like, you know, I have a client that very famous, and I think I've mentioned it here before, spilled a red glass of wine on <coughs> a $50,000 Persian rug that was given by a famous Hollywood actress who I will not name by name. <laughs> and that was the end of her day and her resiliency factor. And we talked about it. I said, your resiliency factors are very low right now because it's a rug. <laughs> but I understood that it was, it wasn't just a rug. It was a costly rug. It was a fairly family heirloom. It was a rug that had all these meanings. But I said to her at the end of the day, I said, it doesn't really matter though, because it can be cleaned. And the resiliency for you comes in some problem solving skills here instead of being the victim that someone came in and spilled wine on your rug. Oh, and by the way, and I said this as a laugh at the end, I said, you always could have said there's no red wine drinking over my rug. <laughs> and she was like, well, that's true. <laughs> right. Like, well, again, know. recognizing your part in the situation mm -hmm. because that's, it, it seems daunting, but it's empowering actually mm -hmm. because you have control over your part. Mm -hmm. So what is, so what do you think of this topic today, sir? I think it's important because a lot of times we're just swimming in all these struggles that we're dealing with and there things are thrown at us every day. Right. And it's really easy to get stuck in the whirlpool of it. So mm -hmm. you need the skills to be able to pull yourself out of it. You need. You, yes. You, and hopefully, you know, you try to gain some as you get a little bit older, but hopefully you need them for, especially for teenagers. Cause you see teenagers that are in it on a day to day basis. Oh uh, yeah. Oh, Yes. And how many times are you looking at a, a client and saying, why is there so much important placed on this thing? And oftentimes it's not about that thing. It's an accumulation oh, God, of no. other things. It's it's usually never on that thing. It's that's the that's the scapegoat of the thing that's happening that is like, wait a second, yeah. that's not really what it is. And it's also a detractor from what is going on, which usually comes back to them themselves, that they don't want to look at themselves and um, you know. And that's just one of those things. Um, so I want to go back to the fact that this this weekend, this last weekend, mm -hmm. I had a fantastic, wonderful that's how shifting gears. Yeah. I had a fundraising event that was really great for local people that are listening. Salvatores um, did a very fine job in Lawrence. And we had a lovely turnout. And um, always, always need more. People, so we're going to work on building it and bigger and better because it's for a great foundation. Um, I'm still doing so we did that, but I'm still doing my raffle tickets. Mm -hmm. I have approximately 40 some odd left out of the 100. I'm only selling 100, but that's not bad for three weeks of selling them. I have plenty of time still to sell them, but I'm they're going to go fast over the next two weeks because there'll be a big push. Um, and then at the end of March, I'll do one more big kind of event, not event out in the world, but I'll do like more of a virtual event where people can jump on board and do like something like the, like a basketball bracket or the win prizes or something. Um, but, you know, 
please know that for $100 a chance, you can buy on my Eventbrite, not Eventbrite, that was what we used this weekend, on my Give and Gain that Lou just posted up, another $100 ticket, it will go to your chance to win. The winning person gets $1,500 cash or they get up to $1,500 worth of and not to exceed $1,500 worth of round trip <laughs> air tickets, which nice. includes the taxes and fees. Like it doesn't go over um, to anywhere you want. Um, and I will be happy to help you. I'm very good at the reason why I said the air tickets. I'm really good at um, finding incredibly good deals with good seats and good stuff when right. I do that because I travel all the time. Okay. So if people want to do that, most people said, I just want the $1,500, but that's fine. But in case you are one to opt for the tickets, that's fine. Um, and then I'll have some other prizes out there. But uh, certainly please come out and help. This is for the New England Patriots Foundation charity that I run for that helps 26 charities in the New England area on a yearly basis. We give over $3 million away in charity work um, to all these fabulous deserving charities um, that support animals, domestic violence, veterans, uh, women going back to work, uh, veterans going back to work, entrepreneurship, uh, people who are getting back into exercise because they've had prosthetics and traumatic experiences, mm. you name it. We yep. hear all kinds of cool, very inspiring stories. Um, so please dig into your hearts because even though it's the day after th Thanksgiving, Valentine's <laughs> Day, um, please share with your heart and certainly, you know, donate out to me. I'd love it. I'd love to get to my end goal because it makes easy training for the running better when I have no money um, drained over my head. Yep. Um, so I appreciate that. And other than that, I will keep you guys posted and I appreciate your listening and go find your resiliency factors and figure out where your deficits are and start building your strengths. And next week we're going to have a switch up on the show time because I have a thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm not sure when that's going to be, but we'll post when it's going to be and what time it's going to okay. be once Lou and I figure out what that will look like. All right. So you guys have a very safe and wonderful weekend and, um, it's supposed to be lovely warm weather. Like it is today, 65, 70 degrees February wow. in, uh, New England, which is weird. And there's no global warming. <laughs> says people. All right, you guys take care and have a wonderful week. And Rocky says, bye. <laughs>